You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. We will continue on a remorseless mission to squeeze Russia from the global economy piece by piece, day by day, and week by week. One thing, of course, we could also do is to make an open and unconditional offer to Ukrainian refugees to house them in the United Kingdom. We haven't seen all of what Putin's going to do at the moment. We do not know what his end goal is. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Stephen Carroll. And good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, coming up on today's programme, we'll be discussing criticism of the Bank of England's efforts to tackle inflation with the Labour MSP Mercedes Villalba. And economist Juven Sander joins us to discuss the mooted plans from the government to axe more than 90,000 civil service jobs. Well, the Prime Minister is in Northern Ireland to meet the region's political leaders today in an effort to restore power-sharing government. The big stumbling block is the post-Brexit agreement with the EU over Northern Ireland, which keeps it in both the EU single market and the UK market. The main unionist party, the DUP, says it wants major changes before it'll commit to joining a government in Northern Ireland. The Prime Minister says the UK government will take unilateral action unless the European Union engages in what he's calling genuine dialogue. Meanwhile, MPs on the Treasury Select Committee will be grinning, grilling Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey and three fellow policymakers today. The bank will be defending its strategy for tackling inflation. The Sunday Telegraph reporting over the weekend that a senior cabinet minister criticised the bank's efforts to control prices and achieve its target of 2% inflation. Well, inflation, of course, is the top concern when it comes to polling of voters. Let's discuss this issue and all the other big news today with Mercedes Villalba, who is a Labour member of the Scottish Parliament for the North East region of Scotland. Welcome to the programme, Mercedes. Thanks. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. So look, inflation, clearly the biggest issue across Britain today. Controlling it is the Bank of England's job. We heard over the weekend, though, several cabinet ministers saying very clearly that they're not happy with the Bank of England's efforts. What is your view about what government and the BOE are doing? Um, well, I think um, government certainly isn't doing enough um, 
as you say, this is a, an issue um, facing everybody in the country, um, rising inflation. Um, and I, I think it could be controlled um, in the interest of, of the millions of workers in this country rather than in the interest of, of preserving the status quo and preserving um, the, the private profits of, of multinational corporations. I think, that's, I think that's the issue here. I think the, the decision-making is being driven by protecting um, the wrong interests, quite frankly. Well, the biggest driver of inflation is energy prices. That's a global problem. The cost of, you know, the, the, the raw materials, as it were, is going up. What could be done about an issue like that? It's a problem that every country is facing. Yeah, you're right. Um, energy is the driver here, and it, and it underpins all the other increases that we're seeing. Um, for a start, the UK government could back um, Labour's policy for um, a windfall tax on um, the astronomical uh, profits um, seen in the energy industry. Um, but I think that um, it, it, we, we could also be looking at um, ways to um, cap prices um, that the general public are facing. Because when it comes to energy, it's not that the energy isn't there, it's that the way that um, Ofgem is choosing to um, manage the energy supply is by um, increasing the, the, the price cap on energy to protect um, the industry rather than protecting households. Uh, and I think that's backwards. Um, I think the government could intervene. Um, we know that we've got energy coming into the country and everybody needs access to it. And I think if we could have a strategy to ensure that we have equal access at a fair price to everybody. But Ofgem's role is simply to flatten out the increase um, in, in energy prices that are set on global markets. So it's, you know, Ofgem's the conduit rather than the decision maker in this. Do you think it would help then if Ofgem were to move to change the price cap more frequently? So rather than leaving it sort of every six months, that it would happen more quickly. So every every three months, let's say, you would have the, the price cap either go up or down, you know, depending on, on global energy prices. Well, I know that that's what they're proposing, and their argument is that that means just as quickly as it can go up, the, the price can also come down um, when, when things uh, settle down a bit. But, um, but, but I do think they're making, uh, they are making a choice. They're not completely neutral. And, and so it, it, I, I heard um, a representative from Ofgem on, on the news earlier this morning um, speaking about um, uh, the price caps and that the, the, the aim is to have a fair price for consumers um, with a fair cost to to the suppliers. And I, I just think that we should be prioritising the millions of people in the country that need access to energy to cook food, to, to, to store food in their fridges, to, to heat their showers, to heat their homes, right? Energy is fundamental and, and it's not good enough to allow people to simply be priced out of it because there'll be, there'll be ramifications, um, you know, for, for the health system, you know, people could die. It's, it's very serious and, and I don't think we can just allow... Um, organisations like Ofgem to, to, to plead uh, impartiality and neutrality because they are making a choice and that choice has, has an impact on people. What about then North Sea Oil and all of this? Of course, very important for your constituency. Should we be re-questioning drilling in the Cambia oil field off the Shetland Islands? I definitely don't think there's a role for um, new um, oil fields, uh, new developments and new drilling. We have um, current fields open, um, with oil that's being extracted, that should, in my view, see us through to the transition to renewables. Um, I, I, I can't see a role in, in developing new, previously untapped fields. 
given the climate crisis that we're facing. Okay. In terms of the um, average cost of inflation to the UK household, uh, Bloomberg Economics estimates that at £2,370 extra this year in terms of household bills. I mean, no wonder that it has so many people's attention. What would Labour really do to tackle this? As we say, energy price is the main driver. But what could Labour suddenly do differently to what the Tory government are doing now? Well, for a start, as I mentioned, we've proposed this um, windfall tax on the profits of the energy giants, um, which could um, put money back into the pockets of, um, of millions of ordinary workers in the country. And I think that would go a huge way um, to, to, to tackling the cost of living crisis. Um, Labour obviously also is the, the, the party of workers, the party of the trade unions. Um, we need to see um, much higher uh, wages. The minimum wage needs to be increased. Um, we need to see better um, paying conditions across sectors, and we need to value our key workers. Um, because if people don't have a decent um, wage coming in, um, then they're, they're just not going to be able to um, afford the basics. Um, so I think that the priority has to be um, you know, improving, um, backing the unions to improve paying conditions across the board for every worker, whilst at the same time um, tackling um, these, these skyrocketing profits of the multinationals so that we redistribute that back into the hands of ordinary people, back into households. Mercedes Brexit is, is back in the news again today. Boris Johnson is in Northern Ireland talking to p- political leaders there. The Northern Ireland Protocol, this post-Brexit agreement uh, that governs, I suppose, how Northern Ireland fits into both the EU single market and the, the UK market, still under question. We ha- It's clearly a, stopping, uh, a stumbling block on the restoration of power sharing there. Boris Johnson says that there's a necessity to act. He's threatening unilateral action. Uh, do you agree that that's the right strategy to get things resolved? I think this is um, typical uh, recklessness from, from the Conservatives, to be honest. This is um, Boris Johnson all over, um, just uh, running, running head, headlong into an issue um, without thinking about it. I think um, it, it, there was bound to be problems um, with Brexit because there was always going to be a choice between uh, a border on the island of Ireland, a border between um, the Great Britain and the island of Ireland, or um, having the UK um, remain in the um, single market. And the the Tories said right from the start that they didn't want that, they didn't want to stay in the single market. And so then, of course, there's going to be this issue about where the border lies. Um, So I think it's very much a problem of of their own making. The thing is, do do voters believe that Labour has the answer? I mean, the local elections were not a resounding victory for Labour. What happens at the next general election? Do we get a Liberal Democrat-Labour coalition? Is that the only way to kind of win a majority against the Conservatives? Keir Starmer sort of offered to resign if uh, he is fined um, over lockdown, you know, gatherings, work gatherings, according to Labour. You know, will Keir Starmer even be there at the next election? Well, <laughs> for me, what it comes down to is that I think that um, the country needs a Labour government um, because we need a government that will prioritise ordinary workers and households who are struggling across the country, who will tackle inequality um, and who will truly transform the system. So, 
um, that's why I'm in the Labour Party. That's why I promote the Labour Party. That's why I encourage everybody to vote and to and also to to, to join and be active in their trade union and, and so they can influence the Labour Party through that way. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I can say really is that I I, I believe in but Labour that, and that. And, so a Liberal Democrat, sorry, a coalition with the Liberal Democrats, is, is that a, a so, po- possibility? It's been floated many times in the last few weeks. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen it in the news. I'm not sure where it's actually coming from. My, my personal view is that formal coalitions um, aren't necessary. If you have a, a good manifesto and a good um, suite of policies, um, you should be able to stand by that and, the, and other parliament. And obviously, you should work cross party to make mm. positive changes. Um, but I think you should be able to stand stand by your by your policy platform and and, and work with others for them to support it. I don't think a, a formal coalition. Um, should be necessary or desirable, but uh, you know, obviously, I'm I'm not in charge. So. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies, from big tech to startups, will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Well, let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics today. And for that, we're joined by Bloomberg's Leanne Gerrans. Good to have you on, Leanne. The energy regulator Ofgem is now consulting about whether to change the terms down from uh, six months to three months of when the energy price cap is changed, increased or decreased. Is that a good thing? Or a bad thing? And I think that is the question. But let's just go through some of the details that we've heard today before we get to that conclusion, Caroline. Now, as you mentioned, the energy price cap could soon be changed twice as often. Now, this should allow for greater flexibility when wholesale costs rise or fall, which could help families in the short term really battle these rising energy costs that we are seeing. And um, what will happen is they will face a decline in what they have to pay and they could also face an increase but it will be more stable so it won't be every six months they'll see these increases twice as often and experts say the cap will delay soaring bills with the amount we pay on food up too so we'll just have a better marker of where we are when it comes to energy now let's hear from Jonathan Brealy he is the Ofgem's chief executive officer and this is him speaking earlier The reason we're doing that is to make sure that people pay a fair price for their energy, but also that companies can manage in what is an incredibly volatile market. So yes, it will go up as prices go up, but it will come down equally quickly as prices come back down. So there we go. He also said it will help companies in the long run too. And of course, people at home who are struggling to pay their energy bills as they do soar. Now, the energy cap determines the cost of electricity and gas bills for 22 million homes here in the UK. And as we did mention, this could be reviewed more often. It could rise again in October, but the regulator Ofgem insists it will allow for prices to drop more easily too. So there we go.
there seems to be a little, of a, a little bit of a balance when it comes to this debate on how we're going to help people during this cost of living period. But however, one government minister, that's Rachel McLean, she came out today and she said people struggling with rising costs should work more hours or get better paid jobs. Now, this has sparked a lot of controversy and it's something that has angered the opposition Labour Party. Of course, they have been saying that the Conservatives are out of touch. Perhaps not surprising people are unhappy about those comments. Leanne, turning to a different story, the Great London property exodus. It's reversing now as as tenants are coming back to the capital. Why Why are they all coming back to London? Well, why do you think, Stephen? You've just come back to London, haven't you, in the last couple of weeks? I just want to say a happy return to Stephen. But people are really returning, Stephen, believe it or not, for the lifestyle reasons and not for employment. And this is according according to the state agent, Hamptons. Hamptons also says um, rents rose the most since 2013, and that was in April. So rents in the capital have risen by 12.3% over the last 12 months. The fastest rate, as I did mention, since 2013. Growth is now outpacing the national average. And that is a lot of money to pay for a house in London. As you know, if you live here, it is something we do battle with, isn't it? How much we pay for our rent. And um, Mm. a record 30% of homes rented in London this year went to people who previously lived outside of the city. So it seems that people are now coming back after they left during the pandemic. Yeah, I picked up the the fact that most of those, though, are coming from the home counties. Absolutely, Uh, yes. It's it's just cutting commute times, really. Yeah, exactly. And also, drinking time is a little bit longer if you live closer. Maybe it's cutting commute and increasing drinking time. But that's a whole but, other conversation, yes. more, the conversation, Leanne goes. But, but London again won back on the market, I think. Okay, Leanne Gerrans, thank you very much for that wrap up of some of the other uh, political stories making news today. Now, uh, let's move on. Talk about the civil service this morning. Boris Johnson is reportedly looking to slash civil servant numbers by 91,000. This after Brexit and the pandemic meant a large increase in Whitehall uh, and ministries with the Minister for Efficiency, that's Jacob Rees-Mogg, talking about slashing numbers by 65,000. Joining us now is Javine Sander, who is an economist at King's College London and a former Treasury official. Um, Javine, thanks so much for being with us again on Bloomberg Westminster. What do you make of these job cuts you're not happy with them no it's simply government by press release i'm skeptical they're going to happen but also they're incredibly damaging to the public sphere in the uk that's already suffering look going into the pandemic we had forty thousand nursing vacancies already that's why waiting lists were up at four million even before we got there now up at over six million twenty thousand fewer police meaning that crime has increased, violent crime, by almost threefold in that time. The public sphere was already in crisis. The British public wants more spending on public services. Actually, not only do these cuts not happen, they're going to make things worse. So it doesn't seem like the government's really thinking very seriously but, about what it's want to do. Hang on a second, but these aren't civil servants. I mean, police and uh, doctors and nurses, I mean, they're counted under NHS workers more broadly, surely? They'll be under civil service numbers or they should be at the mm. very least but on the other side of it even the frontline workers again this idea that you can cut management on the other side is not something that's going to really fly in this country it's true that kind of brexit led to an increase as did the pandemic but it's also true that the public sphere was not in a good state going into this crisis 
So, well, but it, it, we are talking about civil service, the number of civil service employees having gone up largely since the Brexit referendum. Is this a natural mm. correction uh, given as the, the UK moves into its kind of post-Brexit world? Well, we also think about the more civil service that we need to manage our new customs regime and, of course, those new trade deals that also aren't yet concluded. There are needs that this government and this country will have, indeed more needs that we've had since Brexit has begun. Okay, the government says that it's a cost-saving measure, also that technology can improve efficiency um, and basically return the workforce, the the Whitehall workforce, back to 2016 levels. I mean, if one were to do that sort of slowly over a period of time, again, that might be seen as as something sort of normal, that that we would roll back, uh, you know, the size of government. That is kind of clearly a conservative aim. It has been, but this government was already cutting back way before kind of this pandemic called either Brexit had even started at that point. We'd already start to see big suffer. And also that we've seen for time and time again, governments talk and speak about efficiency services. This isn't the first government to do so. A painless cut that won't hit anybody. In actual fact, it's kind of a, a reasonable plan to get there. And a simple number of this many thousand that came up over the weekend is unlikely to constitute that plan. But the the argument the the government is making is that you know the public expect the government to spend their money wisely because it's their tax money that's being spent and is is a drive for efficiency not a noble cause to to aim for. It's a, it's a completely uh, noble cause to aim for. I think anyone's going to argue against that. My 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 worry, my kind of you know the point I'm making is that actually governments talk about this very painless cut that can be made. These kind of jobs that aren't really there. But these thousands of civil servants doing nothing that won't affect the public sphere isn't really there. And given the cuts we've seen since 2010 to the public sphere, it's likely mm-hmm. to knock back and also knock back onto the public services. So there's no kind of painless cut that is kind of just waiting there for it. And more broadly as well, the government is going to help the cost of living crisis. It's really mm-hmm. not clear to me how that's going to be the case. Yeah, I mean, the UK is facing an oncoming, you know, crisis. We have saw inflation. There's a real fear around recession in the UK. Um, obviously, we saw in March that the, the economy has already started to slow down in the UK. So, I mean, this has been, you know, the threat of sort of cutting these thousands of jobs has been swiftly followed by the civil service union, um, effectively sort of threatening strike action or, or um, considering that as a, as a kind of consequence. I mean, this could be hugely problematic, couldn't it, as we go into what may be a slowdown, a severe slowdown towards, um, you know, the back half of this year? Yeah, it's not clear exactly how this will help things, but even through natural wastage, those people will have to find jobs somewhere else, so it's not clear exactly where these people are are going to go or find new jobs. At the moment, of course, unemployment thankfully very low, but we are expecting increase in the coming months as we enter into at least negative growth, if not a technical recession, as well as the biggest cost of living crisis for a lifetime. So yes, certainly so a problem. And on top of this, of course, public sector wages not keeping up with inflation at all, and those public sector workers, of course, are also people having to pay their bills. I wonder what you make of Jacob Rees-Mogg because he's also sort of, um, you know, some people would say it's kind of waging war on the idea of work from home. That, you know, whilst the government has been 
um, encouraging departments to put civil servants outside of the capital in order to kind of uh, meet the sort of levelling up agenda. There's also been this idea that working from home and that sort of flexibility, that that shouldn't be the norm for civil servants. That very, that drive very much from Jacob Rees-Mogg. I mean, what do you think is going to be the norm now for civil servants? Will there be, is it kind of temporary aberration having worked from home or does it stick? Well, it's certainly so. I used to work in the Treasury. It will certainly be permanent there because there aren't enough desks in the Treasury to see all the civil servants that work there. When I was there, this was before this pandemic, there were people encouraged to work from home. That was the way, the norm in the civil service. It's surprising that Jacob Rees-Mogg doesn't seem to know that or understand that in one of the most important government departments. More broadly and generally, you know, I can't speak for every single civil servant. I can speak those I've spoken to and... Yeah, this is not a person who's serious about governing. This is not a serious plan for action. You know, coming into the office every day, presenteeism is not the definition of getting work done. The definition of getting work done is what work is actually completed. Now, if the Treasury that has to draw up budgets that cover now almost a trillion pounds of government expenditure can do that from home, if they can drop a furlough scheme in days, the universal credit uplift, the business loans, the £400 billion of support, I think they can do it in more normal times as well. I think this is someone searching around for something to do or something to do yet. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.